Judges chapter 17. It's Judges 17. The last time we covered Judges in 16, it ended with Samson's death, if you remember. And today, this is a very unusual portion of Scripture. Um, many people are not familiar with this portion of Scripture tucked away in the Old Testament. Uh, some may have read it, not understood it, and just not come back to it. Uh, but in some ways, I believe that what we're going to read tonight characterizes today's generation. This was written a good 3,500 years ago, give or take a few hundred years. Um, but we can see that people don't change. Society just keeps revolving and revolving, and um, we'll get into that. Okay, so Judges 17, starting with verse 1. It says, Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, Here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image and therefore I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took the 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith and he made it into a carved image with a molded and a molded image and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, understand this portion of scripture from all accounts is not necessarily chronologic from where we left off with Samson, but a general um, characterization of the judge's era. There's a dispute about when this actually took place, um, but certainly we know it was after Joshua and before the monarchy in that time period. This was a dark spiritual time in the children of Israel's history. And again, we saw this even going through the judges, right? So this is how the story opens up, um, the account opens up. This man, Micah, now, don't be confused. This isn't the minor prophet that we're all familiar with, all right? That came much later on in Israel's history. And Micah was a good guy. <laughs> so this guy just has the same name. But first thing he does, he steals money, right, from his mother about if you give and take by today's standards, roughly worth about $8,000 worth of money. Then he gives back the money to his mother because she cursed the thief, not knowing that the thief was her son. So what's kind of weird is Micah doesn't fear the Lord. He, he's not worried about do not steal, but he's worried about the curse that his mother puts on him. He's more concerned about the superstition than fearing the Lord. And we're going to see, don't try to make head or tail of it, there's a very confusing theme that really runs through this. And of course, there's a reason why. Second thing, Micah's mom is happy when the money's returned to her. And it appears she decides to make an idol to the Lord in appreciation, which is expressly forbidden. It's a little hard to understand the Hebrew when you go to study it, but um, basically this is, looks like what she did. Mom thought she, what she was doing was right. Idolatry plus God, no problem. Or... Worshiping God through idolatry, no problem. Although in today's society, we could even see that in Christendom, um, 
some have characterized, some Bible scholars have characterized even this period in Christendom is like lawlessness because you've got some churches that are preaching the word, some that aren't, some that are coming up with new doctrine. So it, it is kind of interesting to see. Um, yeah, we're Christian. Anything goes in the name of Christianity. There's a lot of relativism, pluralism, all that kind of stuff. And nothing is wrong. How dare you tell me how I worship the Lord is wrong, sort of is the idea. Yeah, the Bible, and again, you see it in books. You see it um, even in the shack. I, had quote, I might have quoted some of the passages. You see it in uh, the emergent church. You see it in, um, in, a, in a smorgasbord of different ideas of what Christianity is supposed to be, where, you know, this is the way we're going to do it. You know, the Bible, it was written a long time ago. There's a cultural thing. And they kind of try to, they dilute the Bible. They dilute what God says about how he wants to be worshipped. I found something interesting, too. Remember in the news, was it a week or two ago, that guy George Tiller, he did the uh, late-term abortions in Kansas. Um, he was shot down in his church. Now, l l understand this. Nobody condones vigilantism, and I'm not even going there. But the thing that I found that was interesting, put all the other stuff aside. We know what's right and what's wrong. This guy was an usher in his church. <laughs> Marissa's like, I can't believe that. It, you know, I mean, here's a guy who was, was elevated to the status of somebody that either parked cars or sat people. He was a representation of this Lutheran church. And nobody had a problem with the fact that he killed tens of thousands of late term, uh, you know, for any reason. He killed these babies. And this guy is an usher in his church. So anything goes today. You could look at the news. You, I, there was another news article last week about two pastors that were embezzling like a million dollars from a church. I mean, it's just crazy. It's lawlessness today. Okay. <laughs> the third point. So they take the money. Micah and his mom, they're happy. You know, he has a change of heart, gives mom the money. She's happy she got the money. So they're going to go down to the silversmith to make a nice little idol or molded image. And that's the way they're going to worship God. You see, when morality in the home falls apart, then so does morality in the society. And that's why Satan wants to attack, attack marriages, because you attack the marriage first. And there's a domino effect. The marriage affects the family. The family affects society. Society affects the race, you see? So if Satan can take the threads out of the marriage and start pulling on the, the, the string, the whole rug comes unraveled. You see what I'm saying? So this is what's going on in this, in this area. Households were, were in disarray. They were chaotic. Um, and, and the whole area of Canaan was, was pretty much plagued by this stuff. But you know what? And, and it's so obvious, the idolatry issue, even among Christianity. I mean, even Christians can have idols. You know, some of the best things that we are concerned about can become idols in our lives. Our marriages can become idols. Our children's can become idols, our lifestyles, our success, you know what I'm saying? Any of those things, if they put, are put on such a high platform, you might as well go down to the store and the silversmith and make yourself a little idol because that's what you're doing. We think it's ridiculous, the concept of making an idol and worshiping it, but it can be done today without an actual um, inanimate object. So... Verse, uh, the fourth thing that happens, Micah makes this, or he gets the shrine made and he puts these idols out and decides now he's going even further. He's going to make one of his sons a priest. Now, there's no indication that they come from the sons of Aaron. He just picks one of his sons, maybe his favorite son, and says, okay, you're going to be the priest of the family. And this is what's going on here. 
Um, he gives them an ephod. If you look at Exodus 28, the ephod was the ornamented vest that the priest wore, the high priest, and it was only for the high priest. In Numbers 3, it says the vest, the accoutrements, and the priesthood were only for the sons of Aaron in fulfillment of their um, spiritual duties. All others had to be killed. But here they take the sacred and they profane them. And we see that today, don't we? We see um, the sacred being profaned. Look at some of the plays about Jesus. Anybody who's looking for attention will make a, get a bunch of people together, make a play about Jesus, and profane it. You know, um, it's pretty bad. Some of these art displays that public funds are, are being used for, the crucifix and urine, which is one of the most famous ones, we pay for that, believe it or not, because it's art, and it comes through public funding. And even handling ecclesiastic offices carelessly. This is taking the sacred and profaning it. And this is what this guy's doing. Isaiah 5, 20. And I think that, look, I'm going to go back and forth between this society that we're reading about and 30, fast forward 3,500 years today and look at our society. And you're going to see a lot of similarities. And you can come up with a bunch of your own, I'm sure. But Isaiah 5, 20 and 21 are some of my favorite verses. Isaiah says, um, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And that's what we've kind of, you see it here. And every once in a while, every so many, I don't know, decades or hundreds of years, you see a revival, and then this society starts to become decadent again. Okay, verse 6. Verse 6, and in those days, and this really sums it up, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So if we have 5.5 billion people on the planet today, and everyone does what's right in their own eyes, you have 5.5 opinions, and they all stink. Okay? So that's what you're looking at. This story is so bizarre that the narrator needs to explain the bizarre behavior. This story is really a microcosm of the pandemic problem in the land of Israel then. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And in our church bulletin, one of the, the verse that I liked was, Joshua says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Big difference. Joshua says to the children of Israel, I know what's going to happen in this household. You make the choice, what, you, what seems good to you, but... For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Here, it's the opposite. Well, everyone's going to do what they want. We don't really care what the Lord says. We don't care what his word says. We don't even care how he wants to be worshipped. We're going to tell God how we want to worship him, and he's going to like it. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. So they made their own religion. They worshipped God the way they wanted. It was complete chaos and lawlessness when God made worship orderly and specific to himself, and he has the right to do that. And in the next chapter, we're going to see that it really gets out of control. So I'm kind of setting the stage, and then when we do the next chapter, you're really going to see how this poor foundation starts the rest of the thing going. And the question is, is it any different today? There's a song that Sheryl Crow, and just if you're flipping through the station, I'm not a Sheryl Crow fan, but I just remember the one line from the song. She says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? If it makes you happy, why do you look so sad? Those are the, the lyrics. So let's just do whatever we want, whatever makes us happy, right? It's going on in our world, it's going on in our country, and it's going on in so-called spirituality. What's going on in so-called Christianity? That's really what's important. 
America is filled with spirituality. You can find spirituality on the Oprah Winfrey show. She has all these different spiritual people come on, and none of them agree, but they're all spiritual. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in this? We can also say in many respects, there's no king and there's no Lord today. Everyone's doing right in their own eyes. I worship God in my own way. You try to tell people about the Lord, what God wants, but I worship God in my own way. Yeah, but what is that based on? It's based on how I feel. Now, back off. I mean, that's the attitude. It's just what I want. I don't want to hear the truth. I just want to tell you that I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Even in the, the beliefs held by some Christians and even Calvary Christians are becoming her, heretical. And how is that possible? Well, again, there's no king. And if Jesus isn't made the Lord, I think that expression goes, if, he's, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's a very interesting uh, way to put it. You see these, these doctrines out there with the word faith movement has been around for a while. Now you're starting to see among some of the younger uh, Christians this hyper-aggressive Calvinism. Uh, starting to see, and, and we've already seen it for some time, the seeker-friendly movement, the emergent church. Where's the scriptural basis for these? And what's it going to be tomorrow? Next month, something else will come out. There'll be a new church or a new way of doing things, and it'll be, it'll be the new buzz. You see, I'm, I don't know, I just look at it this way. I'm a boring guy, and I don't mind being boring. I'm kind of old-fashioned. To me, the way God says it, that's the way I'm going to go with. And people are going to pass me by. They're going to say, Pastor Joe, you're living in the dark ages. You know, we have the uber churches here. We have the, the churches where the pastor preaches. And we're not going to raise up any men of God for his satellite churches. We're just going to pipe his image into cable. And everyone's going to see a, a visual, you know, what do they call that? A virtual pastor. Joe, you're, you're in the dark ages. Keep me in the dark ages. Because the way God does it, I think, is the right way. But they're, they're gonna, people are going to pass us by because we're just preaching the word. And they want to do all these new and exciting things. But where are they going to be a year from now? Even when someone tells me they're a Christian or even a pastor, I find myself smiling and, and engaging in conversation. But in my mind, I'm vetting them. I ask them questions. Oh, yeah, what do you, what do you believe? You, know, you find yourself having to vet people when they tell you they're a Christian because that's just the way it is today. It's pretty sad. The Bible and the Holy Spirit aren't guiding forces, so everyone does what's right in their own eyes, even in the church. The American church now is event-driven. It's numbers-driven. Say what you want. You don't have a successful church unless there's a numbers thing, you know. Um, and it's interesting because I, I was reading something that said the average figure or the average number of the American church, if you take all of them and average them together, including the megachurches, is 75 I would have thought it would have been a lot higher. But see, the focus is on numbers, you know? It's, it's, it's all about numbers. This is what happens. When church no longer becomes a place to worship God, it becomes a social club when the Bible and the Holy Spirit are taken out of it. Verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite, and he was sojourning there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to sojourn. Micah said to him, Dwell with me, and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. 
Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. So you see, all these roles are being thrown around. This guy's taken in as a son. You know, one of the sons is, is, has already been named a priest. Now the Levite's going to become a priest. This is just crazy. So we're just going to name, you know, whoever we want to do whatever we want, and the Lord will be happy with me. So the next person we run into is a traveling Levite. Now, he's traveling. He's sort of a vagrant. He's looking for somewhere to go instead of being in the Lord's business. And he runs into Micah. Now, the Levite had strict duties. They had temple duties. They were to worship. They were to teach the law. And he should have corrected Micah. But instead, he, he was hanging out with him. He wanted to be a part of it. And the Levite shouldn't have been there in the first place. So Micah makes this guy a deal he can't refuse. He gives him good pay. He gives him a suit. He gives him free boarding and a higher ecclesiastical position than the first one he had. The Levite becomes a priest. Now remember, the sons of Aaron were to be the priests, not the Levites. Okay, They had a different duty. They were in ministry, but they didn't have that role. So the Levite, in essence, becomes a mercenary, a hired hand, really a false shepherd. He sells his spirituality to the higher bidder. Now, in the next chapter, we're going to see that somebody else comes along and offers him more money, and he goes with that guy. So this guy's really not a great guy. He's certainly not doing what the Lord would have him to do. Levites are supposed to be impartial, and they're supposed to be looking out for the spiritual well-being of all of Israel. And so he had the greater sin. But again, do we see that today? Preachers for sale, dollars for Jesus, <laughs> squeeze the cash out of the gospel. <laughs> I mean, come on, you just turn on one of them Christian channels and flip, flip, flip through it a few times, and that's what you'll see. There was one guy, you know, sometimes my wife and I watch it for entertaining purposes, and there was this one guy, and he was serious. And he said, you don't want a pastor who rides a bicycle. You want a pastor who has a jet plane. And this guy made a whole sermon about how your pastor has to have status. Yeah, it's actually it was late at night and we were flipping through the channels. We actually thought it might have been Saturday Night Live, but it turned out to be real <laughs> and it was ridiculous. What men have figured out today is you can become, and, and women, you can become a millionaire off the back of the gospel. So Micah says, now I know the Lord will be good to me because I have this religious setup here, so to speak. God has to bless me because I did this. Now, you see, that's what religion is all about. God has to be happy with me because today I actually remembered to say my prayers twice a day and a little bit in between. God must be happy with me. God has to bless me because I went to church and I have a good attendance record. Just ask my pastor. God has to be happy with me because I prayed the rosary and it showed my diligence or I did good works or I wear a crucifix. Well, my crucifix is bigger than your crucifix. Well, there was a, a, an interesting thing about music, today's music, and uh, they showed Madonna and Prince with the biggest crucifixes. And the guy said, the bigger the crucifix, the bigger the sinner. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not a, across the board, but I thought it was humorous. God, I did this, so you're obligated to accept me and bless me now. This is superstition. This is idolatry. It's not a relationship. Relationship is a relationship. A relationship isn't, 
I say to my wife, well, I did the dishes today, so you need to take out the garbage tomorrow. I mean, that's what we're doing to God. Or I bought you flowers today, so tomorrow I want you to help me dig a hole tomorrow in the yard. Relationship is you bless the person because you want to bless them, because it's a relationship. This becomes, I did this, so God, you have to be happy with me for doing that. Look at our society today. Making gods in their own image, doing what's right in their own eyes, nothing's wrong anymore. We expect it in the world, but unfortunately it's starting to creep into the church. At this time, the children of Israel had no judges and had no king, or at this particular time. But what did they still have? They had God and his word, but they pushed it aside. Today's society seems to be going in the same direction, and tragically the church is following society's lead. You see it on the news. You know, Christians are the fundamentalists. That's what the news likes to make fun of, the ones who really believe in their Bibles and read it every day and believe that God speaks to them. So Christians now don't want to feel ostracized, so they kind of go along with society. Well, you know, I'm not, I don't do it that much, you know. I don't really hear God's voice, and, you know, I don't read my Bible every day. I'm not fanatical or anything like that. So the church is taking society's leads. If Judges 17 is any indication, and I believe it is, about what happens when you do that, where do you think society and the church is going to be if we keep going in this direction? Let's pray.